I firmly believe you cannot drive transformation two, three levels below the CEO. And such a big part of driving transformation is alignment with your peers and alignment with your boss. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? It's episode 140. Today, we're talking about redefining the role of a chief information officer. Our guest this week is Tim Dixon, CIO at Generac. And this is a topic I've wanted to cover for a while. Not that long ago, a CIO or any sort of IT executive probably wouldn't have been the first role that came to mind when you would think of someone responsible for a company's digital transformation. You probably would have thought like Wi-Fi and emails and a company's phone infrastructure is their main area of focus. But Tim is one of those CIOs that's changing the game and believes that IT organizations must be innovative. That's the crux of today's conversation. We're going to discuss Tim's experience as an IT leader, how the roles of CIOs and IT execs are changing, and we're also going to talk about things he and Generac are doing to innovate and what it takes to achieve true digital transformation. We're also going to talk quite a bit about fostering regional tech communities. Tim has worked in a lot of different places, from East Coast to West Coast, and he's learned something from all of those places. We talk a bit about the Milwaukee tech community, but whether you're located in Wisconsin or like far, far away, you'll hear some tips and tricks that you can easily apply to your own region as well. Part of the reason for this portion of the interview is due to the fact that Milwaukee's big tech community event, Summerfest Tech, is on the horizon. Now, you might have heard of Summerfest. It's a long-running, giant music festival in Milwaukee, located right on the lakefront. But Summerfest Tech, this, I believe, is the sixth annual one that's taking place on June 27th through 29th. 2023. And Summerfest Tech actually joined us on site at the bar for this interview. It's Milwaukee's premier tech event, like I was saying. Think of it as like a mini South by Southwest because the event wraps up on Thursday, the 29th, and feeds right into the second weekend of the Summerfest Music Festival. Now, this is not just a manufacturing event, it's going to cover everything from healthcare to Web3 to cybersecurity, plenty more. And it features a ton of high powered panel discussions and keynote speakers. So, You'll get a taste of that in the interview. Tim's involved in it. I'm involved in it. And of course, I should let you know that if you do want to attend this, you can register for free if you want to join us. That link, other links from this episode, those are over at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 140. And with that, let's get into today's conversation. It's time to meet up with Tim Dixon at Explorium Brew Pub in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Tim, good to have you here on Manufacturing Happy Hour. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Chris. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about it. There's a reason I picked this spot for this interview because I've found that... Because there's beer? Well, because there's beer, of course. <laughs> you, you you now know that's kind of a, a prerequisite of the show, but also the building that this is in, uh, the Pritz Laugh building, I feel has become a, a spot for like the Milwaukee tech community, mm-hmm. if you will, because you got Ward 4 up top where uh, a lot of startups, co-working spaces. Actually, when I moved back here 
over two years ago was the spot where I was working for like a week while my furniture was still in transit from California. <laughs> so cool place for a happy hour. It is a good spot for happy hour and a great place for a manufacturing happy hour as well. So, you know, to kick things off, I wanted to ask you a question to get to know you and Generac sure. a little bit more. So I'm going to read something from your website and oh I want you to translate it in bar speak. So, <laughs> you know, it says that Generac. Can I use chat GPT yeah. to do that? Um, if you've got it in front of you, but you know, <laughs> chat GPT is only as good as its availability. So, so, you, you know, I'm, right. I'm trying to get people to harness AI in a smart way, per se. <laughs> but uh, Very ethical. It does say that Generac is a leading energy technology company that provides advanced power grid software solutions, backup, and prime power systems for home and industrial applications. Now I want you to describe what your company does as if you were having a drink with someone at a bar. Yeah, you bet. So Generac, I tell the story, Generac is kind of a tale of two companies. And so Generac, on one hand, is a 63-year-old Wisconsin born and raised mm-hmm. uh, manufacturing company of engines and backup generators. We have two market-leading products for um, spaces that we created ourselves. There wasn't uh, backup power generators in, in the home or in the business before Generac created those. And those drove the engine, the cash cow, the growth, the innovation of the company for 63 years. About a year or so before I joined, so about 2018, 2019 timeframe, Generac realized that that cash cow in itself wasn't exactly going to propel us to the next you know, evolution, the next generation. There was a lot of environmental and climate change things going on with hurricanes and so on and so forth, where they saw an opportunity to get into the what we call the energy technology space, newer types of energy, clean, solar, batteries, et cetera, selling to utilities. And so we entered into those industries by buying acquisitions, 13 of which over the last uh, three years, that sort of propelled this engine manufacturing company, its heritage, its you know, six plants in the state of Wisconsin, very production, you know, shipment focused. Now, all of a sudden, we're an energy technology company and they need a guy to come in to help transform that 63-year-old engine manufacturing company to an energy tech company. You need to be able to you know, speak the speak, uh, do the things that now are expected of industries of which, you know, are potentially digital by nature uh, from the get-go. And that wasn't necessarily Generac's vernacular, it wasn't their expertise. And so that at the same time they were evolving and transforming, they needed a leader to, to come in and help drive that transformation, which is why it's a great, it's a perfect fit for me. Yeah, because you've, you've been around the block in the tech <laughs> world. You've lived, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but Ra- you've, had, you've had time in Raleigh, you've had time in Austin. Did I hear a couple others that were in your like 30-year circuit yeah. of leaving Wisconsin? Yeah, so short story, I grew up in La Crosse. So I'm a hometown guy. I love the state of Wisconsin. Obviously, love, love La Crosse, God's country. Would love to find a way to bring La Crosse into the Milwaukee and Wisconsin tech scene. You'll hear more about that here uh, over the course of this year. But uh, moved away 30 years ago in high school. Uh, and uh, Philly, Raleigh, uh, San Francisco, Austin, Chicago, D.C., and then here. And uh, I tell this funny story how, you know, I went from lacrosse to Milwaukee the long way. Because <laughs> you, you follow that sort of path. i kind of been all over the place. But at the same time, the companies that I've worked for, the industries that I've worked for, the places that I've worked for, in essence, have led me to Generac. Generac needed a transformational leader, a guy who'd been there and done it before, both with technology and with approaches and frameworks and industries. It just hadn't been done yet at Generac. And so they needed someone of my background 
of all those things and all those skill sets to kind of bring that expertise into the company. And I'd say very honestly, early on when I joined Generac, there really wasn't anything new that I was doing in industry. It was new to Generac. I'd done those things before and I was being brought in to see if those same things would apply to Generac. And they did. And it was a huge hit. And I think really over the last uh, year, year and a half or so, I've really gotten my footing with my team and I've really tried new things, new approaches and and new sorts of uh, things that have really propelled the company forward. But you know, it was a company that was needing and wanting a leader of my type. And I was looking for the opportunity uh, for a sort of hometown company and not only give back to Generac and lead their digital transformation, but also come back home to the state of Wisconsin that's been so good to me and give back to this community as well. Well, we're going to talk about the Milwaukee, the Wisconsin tech community. <laughs> we'll probably talk about tech communities in general. We're going to talk about you know your role because you know I'll ask this question this way. Why was the CIO the person brought in to be the transformation exactly. leader, right? Because that's, you know, I've seen people come up with like, you know, VP of digital transformation or something like that. So I'm curious to get your take on that. Yeah. So um, just for the context, uh, I'm the first CIO in the history of the company. And at the time I joined Generac, they were a $2 billion company. And you would think a CIO for a $2 billion company would have been a staple um, and in most other industries it is, but it wasn't the case at Generac. There was a VP of IT, and at the time they were reporting to finance. But between the senior leadership team, you know, my boss, the CEO, and the board realized that they needed a, a person with not only the title, but also the responsibility to drive technology advancement, knowing that we were going to acquire these companies and knowing that we were going to get into this new space, but also someone that could come in and sit at the senior leadership team and not necessarily be the geek or the nerd uh, from a tech perspective, but demonstrate how technology can help enable the growth of the business. It was, a, it was an awesome sort of realization for me because the board and my boss realized that they needed a leader of that type to come in. And for myself, I had never reported to the CEO before. And that was something in my career that I wanted to, uh, to certainly take on, have a seat at the table and drive that change. And for me, this is my first official CIO role as well. So Generac got what they wanted out of the situation. I got what I wanted to do in terms of advancing my career. And it's been a great fit and a perfect, perfect match ever since. So you've been focused on transformation and other roles. I'm curious, what were those titles of other roles? Doesn't need to be the full resume, but I'm yeah. just curious, like what other transformation, like what, what should people be looking for in organizations to be like, oh yeah, that role is transformational or yeah. could be transformational. So I'll go old school and I'll go new school. Okay. So um, at uh, a major telecom company in Chicago, my title was the VP of IT for the front office. There was the VP of IT for the front office and the VP of IT for the back office. And I reported to the chief innovation officer for the company. And so I was responsible for front office change, front office transformation, digital, um, you know, websites, um, Salesforce, you know, anything that drove sort of sales or, or marketing sort of transformation, not across the company, but within a certain space. So I, this was 2015-ish, so that was what was sort of accepting of industry back then. Um, I left Motorola Solutions and joined an awesome company on the East Coast, East Coast called Laureate Education. They owned um, 65 higher education institutions around the globe. And I was the VP of the digital platform. And so that role reported, once again, directly to a chief innovation officer because we were being brought in to drive standardization for student experience across the globe with digital technologies. That's, in fact, where I learned all of my AI, 
data scientist, automation, RPA was in the higher education space. They, they don't have a lot of money, but they know how to use uh, technology extremely well because ultimately they're serving the student experience and students are ruthless when it comes to user experience. Fast forward here to Generac. Now as the CIO, I own not only IT, I have cybersecurity, I have digital data AI, I have infrastructure cloud, and I have the call center. And so that is a scope of responsibility that most CIOs don't have. In fact, um, when I speak at conferences, I ask people in the audience, how many of you CIOs actually report directly to the CEO? And there's not a lot of hands that get raised. And so in this day and age, CIOs still have not really made the move and the push into the senior leadership team. So what I've learned from my previous roles, you can't drive, you cannot drive enterprise-wide digital transformation without having a seat at the table. You can drive digital transformation programs. They're just not enterprise-wide focused if you are not reporting directly to the head guy. Do you think that's changing? Are you seeing, you know, if you look at what you've seen from the past few years, more CIOs having a seat at that full C-suite table? I do. And I also see that when they get that set of responsibility, then the CIO ch title changes. When you report to the CEO of certainly larger companies, you often become the chief information technology officer, the chief information digital officer, the chief information transformation officer. So at larger companies, they have acknowledged that the CIO can do more and can do more around the digital and transformation component. And that seat at the table helps them do that. And I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I firmly believe you cannot drive transformation two, three levels below the CEO. And such a big part of driving transformation is alignment with your peers and alignment with your boss. And you may not get that two or three levels down. It, it takes so much effort and energy to get that. When you have a seat at the table and you're part of the senior leadership team and you're in sync with your boss, you're in sync with your peers. It's just, it's just that's the fact. And that makes transformation so much easier and so much more capacity of your energy available, not having to do all of that alignment work at the same time. That's a great line. You can't make the change if you're like two or three levels below. Cannot happen. You know, I, well, I want to talk, you know, because there are a lot of manufacturing leaders out there listening mm -hmm. to this that are at very various levels within the organization. Some are just starting their career. Some own the company, right? We have the full range. So I'm curious what it means to be an IT or, you know, what it means for an IT organization to be innovative. And I'm going to, I'm going to read a line that I saw in an article you wrote not too long ago for, I think, CIO. You've done your research. Oh, of course. That's my job. That's my job. Anyway, I think you'll get it. I, I, you'll probably remember this, but. I think you said the best CIOs want to rattle their departments, change their organization stars and lunge at the big ideas, whiteboarded in a frenzy of inspiration. Yes. That's the line I saw stick yes. out. So I'll go back to the original question. What does it mean for an IT organization to be innovative? So um, two things as context before I answer this question. So probably for the last 20 years of my career, I've been on a mission to change the brand perception of IT in general in the minds of our business partners and customers and stakeholders. By IT has had a bad rap for 50 years. <laughs> the back office guys, the servers guys, the data center guys, IT hadn't been viewed as very innovative. So I'm on a mission to change that brand perception of IT in the minds of our business partners and customers. In doing so, at this day and age, with digital technology, with new emerging technologies like RPA and automation and chat GPT, the door is wide open for technology leaders who understand the tech to take that and message it in such a way and describe how it could impact positively your business by leveraging this 
new tech in a certain way. And if you're able to do that, you've changed the brand perception. And if you're able to get what's typically a manufacturing culture of let me see it happen first before I truly believe it's going to happen, you can change the brand perception of the, of the legacy uh, perception of IT by taking these newer technologies and showing what they can do for the business in a, in a positive way. So two things, just as contextual happening right now that completely impact that brand perception. Going back to the role of the CIO, this is such a loaded question for me because uh, at the end of the day, everyone who's in the CIO role knows they're being asked to do more than just their job. The question is whether that person in that role can do more than what's described in their job. And I think this is the big paradox that exists with the CIOs because the role is changing. There's no doubt the role is changing. You can read a million articles about why that's the case, but are the people in those roles changing? And can they change? A CIO typically in a large company is a fairly, fairly senior person. Someone who's been around for a while. I've been in the industry for 30 years. Can you change in your role at that age, at that level, with that much experience, with what now businesses and companies are asking you to do. Some can, some take on that challenge, uh, and some can't. And so those that can't, I find, stay relegated back to the legacy CIO role. And what ends up happening is that companies end up going finding a separate and creating a separate person or a separate role for digital, for technology, for innovation, so on and so forth. And I feel bad for those CIOs that can't because it's standing, it's sitting there right in front of them to take advantage, and they're just not they're not doing, they're not stepping into the to that aspect. And so part of that also has to do with your personality. And so that comment that you just read, most companies, most manufacturing companies would be scared of a CIO reading that statement. Oh my God, what's this person going to do? A culture's not ready for it. You know, the people aren't ready for this change. How is this person going to work in this company? He's not like the rest of us, you know, so on and so forth. And at Generac, that's not the case. Generac, once again, was wanting and accepting of somebody coming in with that expertise because they knew they had to change. They knew there was a huge growth trajectory in front of them. If they weren't accepting of something like this, they weren't going to be propelled into the next generation of, uh, of, uh, of energy technology. So, it's, it's, um, it's something that I talk about quite a bit in the CIO ranks. And what I tell them is, don't wait. Nothing's perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you waiting for? Mm -hmm. Seriously. Um, how, do you, how do you balance that then, right? Because that's actually the next question I wanted to ask, right? Like, how do you balance innovation with what I've seen you refer to as table stakes, right? Help desk, Wi-Fi, those traditional functions of an IT leader. How do you balance that? So there's no worse conversation that a CIO could have with his boss or his peers than when there's an outage or the system is down. There, every bit of innovation, every innovative project gets killed in that conversation when your system is down or there's an outage. So you have to put enough work in, you have to have faith enough in your team in the process that the normal operations of the company are going to run at a you know, at, a, at an uptime type of pace that will allow a space and a capacity of yours to happen where you can actually innovate. So if, if you have outages and, and things are going down, there's no way innovation is, is going to occur. But if you have a team and if you have a process set up where that's, where that's actually happening and it's running at a, somewhat of a decent level, there, there's an opening for that to occur. So then what, you, what do you do with that opening? How do you approach it? Who leads that for you? 
how do you learn about what's potentially you know sort of important in this space where where the, the innovation window is there, but how far you can take that and stretch it um, uh, is either accepting or scary. <laughs> and so everybody who knows me loves I love knows that I love hackathons. We were talking about uh, that earlier today. That is an a free collaborative open space for IT and our business partners to collaborate together. And ultimately, at the end of the day, no innovation is going to be accepting of any one of my business peers unless they know that their team was a part of it. Well, I've, I've got some advice I want to get out of you before this, this part of the interview wraps up. But maybe I think what will help is, you know, if you share what innovation looks like at Generac a little bit so people can kind of visualize what you're doing as a CIO. I mean, you shared a story with me like three months ago when we talked, one of your systems came out of a hackathon, right? Like whether it's that story or something else, I'd love to hear a bit more about what innovation looks like at Generac. Yeah. So um, I would say prior to joining the company, and this is no, this is no slight to Generac, is that most manufacturing companies are in this space. The IT organizations reported to um, finance. Uh, they were very waterfall-based, very serial in nature and very sort of capacity constraint. And so I come in, I'm a digital guy, I believe in AI, automation, agile, DevOps, innovation. <laughs> That's a different profile than what the company was used, used to. And so I had to build a, I had to sell and build a framework that was going to work and make sense, not only for those normal operating programs, but for new ideas and new programs to come into so we fully embraced Agile, and I would say that um, uh, for a manufacturing company to go all in on the Agile technology and know that instead of going from a waterfall approach, which was give me a million bucks and give me a million bucks and a year from now you're going to get something out of it, to give me a little bit of money in two weeks, you're going to see some incremental improvement, and then two weeks after that we're going to see a little bit more, and then three weeks after that you're going to have another sprint, and two weeks after that you're going to have a release. Changing that model sort of changed the uh, the the outlook uh, in in Generac and in the sprint review as a part of the agile process became the most popular meeting in the company. So everything that we do now is agile. It's all DevOps, and the business participates and they see the actual progress take place in front of their eyes. And that's got to that can't be just limited to like the CIO or the IT organization. You can probably use those sprints in a lot of different absolutely. functions within the company. Yeah, absolutely. So go back to your question, though, how, how, uh, how is innovation defined or, or how is uh, innovation done at Drenrack? So when, when I joined the company, um, the CIO, myself, new in the role, reported to the CEO. IT was up level. They had reported to the CFO. Now you got a new guy coming in and now we're reporting to the CEO. So IT, in essence, held a broader accountability and responsibility for the company. And that is a huge shift for anyone who had been in IT right. uh, beforehand. And so these hackathons for me are not only opportunities for my team to show what they're made of, they're opportunities for people who have ideas at all levels of the organization who may not necessarily get a chance to be heard at any given time or so, at any given so program. So these are internal company hackathons. Internal about, company right? hackathons oh, okay. that are put right. on by our team with our business partners. So it gives people at all levels of the organization to participate and bring their idea of which may have may not have had an opportunity to get it raise itself up high enough to get any attention. If you bring an idea and then you're obviously able to create something 
as a result of it, you're not only selling the idea, you have something to show and people are more likely to embrace it and buy into the model. And it's, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'll tell you the hackathons themselves are kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because they ultimately initiate themselves in some sort of deployment, you know, production deployment or some sort of implementation. So you're creating an idea and if people like it, now you're being held accountable then to go deliver it. And so in addition to the hackathon, you also need to have an incubation and acceleration model to take that thing from ideation to a production deployment. So to me, it's a, it's a talent evaluation. It's a collaborative exercise. It's an ideation exercise, but ultimately it comes down to delivering something that creates value for the business. So I've got to think based on what you're describing, right? Like people out there thinking, how do I, what's my step one to implementing something like this in my company, right? Because it's probably weird just to be like, hey, we're hosting a hackathon tomorrow, right? There's got to be a way to start uh, getting people comfortable with this way of doing things. So, because you've, I've heard you talk before saying, hey, this is not just limited to the Teslas and the Googles of the no, world, right? absolutely not. Every manufacturing company that wants to be relevant, you know, three, five, 10 years from now needs to be doing this. So what's the way to start driving this change, right? I know driving change is a general topic, but specific to some of the things you're talking about. So if you're going to drive change, you ultimately have to be able to understand and articulate the value of what that change is, is going to do. And so in some way, shape or form, if you've not been customer or business facing before, you've got to get business and customer facing because ultimately you're going to have to see what moves the needle with those folks. What moves the needle in terms of your business partners, sales, <laughs> customer satisfaction, customer experience, or ultimately with your, your customers, product quality, ease of use, you know, installation, you know, experience, user experience, et cetera. Uh, long-term relationship, et cetera. You have to understand what the needle movers are between those two relationships. And if you get that and you're cur curious enough to ask the right questions and go deep, then the next step is, is on you, is what do you then do with that knowledge? Knowledge is key, right? What do you then do with that knowledge that can bring something forward that moves the needle in a positive direction from a value creation standpoint that would impress upon either that same business partner that gave you that opening or that same customer that gave you those insights. So it's a two-way street. If they open the door for an IT guy to come in and start getting that exposure and that knowledge, they're then going to expect you to do something with that. And I think that's, a, that's where a lot of IT and, and technology leaders fall by. They, they ask for that first piece but they don't necessarily follow through with the uh, with, with the second piece. And I think that's absolutely key. Like I can't have a hackathon if I don't do ultimately something with the ideas that are created. Great point. We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by ePlan. Now, I've known about these folks for years. ePlan provides software and service solutions in the fields of electrical engineering, automation, and mechatronics engineering. But I just got to know them a whole lot better when I featured their international solutions architect, Sean Mulheron, on episode 132. We talked about all things apprenticeships, travel, and data-driven panel design, and I'm gonna focus on that last one for a second. ePlan develops one of the world's leading design software solutions for machine, plant, and panel builders. So if you want to start designing your panels for troubleshooting and ease of use so that your control panels are easy to navigate years after the panel is built, you need to check them out. 
Go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash ePlan or hear all about it from Sean in episode 132. And now, back to today's episode. Yeah, so so it's a you know getting customer facing, you know implementing the things that you're experimenting with, right? Yeah, I guess my last question on this topic, unless you feel like there's something critical I've missed, uh, what I want to ask is, I'm sure there are leaders that are listening to this that are looking at their organization and they're like, I don't know if Bob's going to cut it as an innovative leader. He's a great IT guy, but I don't know if he's he's ready for the big time, as we'll call it. Right? What's the right way to, you know? evolve or make that part of the organization evolve, right? Because you might need a guy like Bob on the team, for example, but maybe he's not the IT leader that's going to bring your company into the future. What's the right thing to do there? So I, I personally believe it's up to the person to sort of make make that call. Don't let the organization make that call of you. You you be the one that make, make that call. And to me, like I said, if you are up, everyone knows in this day and age, that you are expected to do more at work than just your job description. If you don't realize that, then you're you're not. <laughs> you're, you're Those doing, people aren't listening to this podcast, doing, doing so exactly. I don't think we need to worry about them. These this is for the overachievers, right, exactly. So then, if you realize that, is then how do you improve upon yourself? Like I get up every morning at four o'clock and I read. Like I cannot ask my team members to take on anything new if I don't know what I'm asking them to take on. There's no way I can have a. Um, a chat GPT hackathon if I don't, hadn't played around myself with chat GPT and know what it's capable of. I, can't, I just can't, as a leader, you can't ask your team members to do something with a set of technology that you're not knowledgeable of yourself. You don't need to be an expert. You don't need to be a technical, you know, deep SME, but you need to understand what the technology does, what it could potentially do to the, co- the company and before you ask your team members. So to me, that transformation, that personal transformation, whether it's as a result of coming up to speed on a new space, coming up to speed on a new technology. I love personality tests. I've taken the DISC, Myers-Briggs. I'm having a team offsite tomorrow. We're doing strengths finders. Any way that I can learn how to get under the skin of my team, get to understand their personality, both personally and professionally, get to understand what aspires them to do more, what makes them tick. I can position them for roles, for programs, for projects and things that I know will make them will we'll bring out the best in them in those opportunities. And so between understanding yourself, personal transformation change, you know, personality tests, those types of things are all ways that you as a leader can propel yourself forward and, and tra- use that transformation for the organization. I like that your answer included the things you're doing for yourself and the things that you're doing for your team as well, because I think that balance is critical. I have to ask, since you worked in San Francisco for a while, did you develop that 4 a.m. <laughs> habit when you were on the West Coast? That, that feels like a thing that happens out there. No, actually, I uh, developed the 4 a.m. thing when I um, uh, had kids. Sure. So. <laughs> yeah. I haven't gotten there yet, so, so, when so you're but married, I can see that. When you're yeah. married, you have kids and a dog. Mm-hmm. 4 a.m. is the only time of the day where it's peaceful and it's quiet. And if you're going to focus on learning, you need less distractions as possible. So for me, that's my time where I, uh, I get to to uh, read books and you know case studies and and, and things that I uh, I know will help me uh, become a better leader. Well, I I know you're a reader. I heard you mention that in some of the podcasts I listened to. Like, is there a book that you found most impactful when it comes to leading through change or transformation? Right. Yes. Just curious if you have one that's yes, recommend. I have a favorite book, and it's from my wonderful friend uh, and author, Suzanne Tedrick. And the book is called Women of Color in Tech. 
and what Suzanne tells in that story is her personal story. She was a woman of color on the IT help desk for like 15 years. And she saw uh, men of the same role be promoted, be acknowledged, give bonuses, get promotion, move on their career much faster and higher than she was. And she had still been relegated to that same role for, for a long period of time. She found strength in herself to um, upskill, uh, get accepted to a master's of engineering program, leave her job, graduate, and now she's a, um, she's a cloud evangelist for Microsoft and, and writes books and, and, and does wonderful uh, podcasts like this. And so that book for me, if you have not, one, um, been in a role of leading diverse women, and if you have not been in a role where you have, that has been sort of a, a, a blind spot for you in terms of one, either acknowledging those in the organization or two, um, giving them the same equitable opportunities as you would uh, you know, a male, which you know, IT obviously is, has been dominated the longest time with, with males, then you are missing out. You're, you have a different perspective. You're not seeing the opportunity uh, that, that, uh, that you would have, obviously, you read this book. And so for me, that was eye-opening as a leader, uh, as a person who has a diverse family, to now have a circumstance and an awareness of that in my organization. So I don't ever make that mistake as a leader. I would never want anyone saying that of me as a leader. I would want someone saying Tim fully embraces diversity, fully embraces equity, is totally inclusive and belonging of his organization. For me, that was something that uh, was a game changer uh, in my personal perspective. And I'm going to include a link to that in the show notes page for everyone out there. The author and title one more time. Suzanne Tedrick, Women of Color in Tech. All right. ManufacturingHappyHour.com. That's where you're going to be able to find that. You know, I've enjoyed this part of the conversation. I want to switch to another area that I know you're passionate about, which is like the tech communities, right? And particularly the Milwaukee tech community. We're going to get there in a second. Actually, we're going to get to it right away, right? Because the first, the first thing I want to ask about is, let's say, your CIO community here. I think you helped create Wisconsin CIO, which is like part of the um, Inspire CIO umbrella. I'd love to hear more about that in general because there are people all over the country, all over the world listening to this. But tell us a bit about that and like the function it serves. Yeah. So uh, previous roles, um, lived around the country. I had been nominated uh, as VP um, for um, uh, CIO Veer in Washington, D.C. and Chicago as, as a VP. Uh, I moved to Wisconsin and the, the greater Milwaukee area at a time of COVID. I had no talent pipeline. I never lived here before, never worked here before. I had no network, and I joined here at a time of COVID. <laughs> Honestly, I, that's kind of still how I feel now. <laughs> I just started getting involved in the tech community here like six months ago or so after moving back after being gone for 10 years. Not quite as long as you, but still a while. Yeah. So moving here, um, so Inspire CIO is a national organization, and they had 20 chapters or so, of which two I had, I had been nominated. I moved to Wisconsin. There's no form. There was no formal CIO network in Wisconsin, and I was nominated in Wisconsin for a Chicago CIO of the year. I thought that was the most bizarre thing ever. I live in Milwaukee. 
I'm in Wisconsin, and I was nominated for the You know what? Chicago it's about time Seattle. we butt into Illinois' party, right? Like, they're always, like, pushing their influence up here. You know, let's go down south. You know, kudos. Congratulations on that. <laughs> but I also knew that a uh, Packer fan, uh, you know, a huge Packer fan, the sure. way that was, was never going to win. I'm surprised you didn't Seattle. come here wearing, like, Wisconsin sports gear. You're on brand, but yeah, I yeah. thought for sure it was going to be a Bucks shirt tonight or Brewers jersey. They're not playing. Yeah, the Bucks aren't playing yeah. tonight. Um, so uh, another fellow and myself, uh, Alan Smith, he's the CIO of Baker Tilly, kind of we're in the same situation. We'd been someplace else before so we came here. So we, he, he and I got together and came up with the idea to co-found together Wisconsin CIO. That was in 2021. It was officially announced um, in January of 22. So basically for about a year now, we've had a formal organization. We have a formal CIO network. We've got about 35 members that are a part of this organization. Now, 35 members who had not been a part of any other CIO network before. And we have monthly get-togethers. We share um, technology topics. I have a network now. I could pick up my phone. I don't subscribe to Gartner. I don't subscribe to Forrester. I don't do any of that stuff. I pick up my phone. I have a Slack channel, not only with every single CIO as a part of our 35 uh, group, and here in Wisconsin, but also this nationwide network. I can ask, wow. who's deployed Salesforce? What have you learned about MuleSoft? Is anybody doing anything with Workday? What do you think about ChatGBT? I have a network now and a nationwide network that I have at my disposal to collaborate, to communicate, to connect with. And CIOs love CIOs. Yeah. CIOs love talking to other CIOs. Kind of misery loves company type of uh, <laughs> type of uh, situation. Yeah, sure. A CIO will open up completely with any other CEO. They might not do that with, with any other person. And so I just find both socially, virtually, and in person, these network events and groups and social interactions just allow more collaboration and sharing, and quite frankly, collaboration and sharing that I don't think was happening here before, uh, before this organization was formed. So I'm gonna get broader now with Milwaukee, right? Like, I know you're passionate about building this as a tech hub, and you've seen a lot of other tech hubs in your career. We'll get to that in a second as well, but you know, what does it take to build up Milwaukee or a city like Milwaukee as a tech hub, right? Mid-sized, Midwestern city. So I equate it to a lot of stuff that I talked about before with uh, with transformation. You have to have a vision and a strategy. Okay. A vision and strategy of what this city can become. And because yeah. I've lived in these other cities, I saw what those cities became. Once again, I'm old, so I've been in the industry 30 years. So I've seen those cities transform and what they've become. And, and you know, people talk a lot about Austin and South by Southwest. I'm not trying to make Milwaukee into Austin and South by Southwest. I'm trying to tell the story of Austin and South by Southwest and Charlotte in other places like that so that people can see how other folks have done it and can learn from that. Milwaukee is going to become its own thing. We're right. not trying to become one of those other cities, but, but but by learning what those others have done will help us form our perspective and our vision. So you have to have a vision. You have to have best practices. You have to know how other people have done it. The second thing is, just like a transformation program, you have to have alignment. Okay, Who are the people? Who are the key players? And are you aligned around that vision that you just talked about and described? Or are you not in alignment around how that thing is going to happen? What the approach is going to be? You know, who's Who are the folks that are going to you know, own certain things and do certain things? And so I think that was a little bit lacking when I came here. And so, so alignment is very much key. And then the third thing, which is absolutely key, is ultimately you have to do something with it. You have to execute. You have to deliver. And so... What are those things, those tangible things that we can do and do together that move the needle from walking? Whether they're conferences, 
whether they're organizations, whether they're causes, whether it's diversity, whether it's nonprofit, whether it's equity. What are those things that we are going to hang our hat on in Milwaukee that says that people will say, boy, that's a difference maker. Milwaukee's doing something cool, something unique, something that's not been done before in any other place. So you have a vision, you need collaboration and alignment, you need owners, and you need to execute. I have, I have two questions that came from that. So that's the first time I've heard the term techquity, right? I think I've got a good idea of what that might mean, but, but can you define that for the audience out yeah, there? Yeah, techquity is a part of, I'm uh, on the board of uh, United Way, Greater Waukesha, Milwaukee County. Techquity is about giving equal sort of internet access to those across the country, across, in this particular case, across Wisconsin. So everyone can participate in the tech movement. My second question to that then is, since you've lived in a lot of spots, you've seen Austin, you've seen Raleigh, you've seen San Francisco, I would love to hear what can a spot like Milwaukee or other mid-sized cities learn from those areas? This is almost this is going to be like a little lightning round, yeah, right? What are, the, what are the strengths of these areas? So, you know, we're, we're not too far behind from South by Southwest this year. What's something Austin does really well? Austin is a huge collaborative town. Austin, a part of it is that they have this keep Austin weird so every yeah. you, you move to Austin. It's less weird than it was 10 years ago. Right. I'm going to say that. But you move to Austin as a tech professional, you're expected to collaborate. Like there is no, there is no room that's for cool. non, like you're moving to a town that's known as a tech hub. The keep Austin weird thing means we're going to work together and find innovative, new, weird kind of ways that we're going to help this oh, city okay. improve. So that's no, that's, that, that's the Austin kind of mantra, you know, in Raleigh, uh, Raleigh was unique because, uh, in my opinion, Raleigh is kind of like Greater Milwaukee right now, where you have the city and then you have all these suburbs. Raleigh was hugely spread out. And so how do you bring together all these people that aren't necessarily living downtown? Like, we got to find a way. I, I live in Heartland, Wisconsin. I, li- I work in southwest Waukesha County. Yeah. I'm downtown three times a week. I make an oh, effort. Okay. I make an effort to come down and, and good most, for you. I mostly to come meet, meet with this wonderful person, uh, you know, right here. Uh, but we I, got Lena from Summerfest Tech watching <laughs> watching our interview today. I make an effort to get downtown because I know there's more stuff happening downtown than there is in Southwest Waukesha County. There's some stuff happening in Waukesha County. Don't give Waukesha a bad rap. A lot of companies out there, and you know, we do we do some things, but there's a lot going downtown. So if I'm going to be viewed as a tech leader in this town, I need to get downtown. So that's what I learned from Raleigh. San Francisco. Um, the unique thing about San Francisco is obviously it's all about the startups, and it's all about the VCs, and you know, fake it till you make it. You know, type. Of it's thing. in their heritage. It is. It's in their heritage. But it, what I liked about San Francisco is that there was a collaborative sharing of how you did it before. Teach me how to do it. You made it, teach me how I can make it. Now, how they made it wasn't maybe 100% of integrity, <laughs> but there was, a, there was a best practice sharing and there was a, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I've already made my money. I've made my company. I want to help. I'm going to bring you under my wing. I'm going to mentor you and I'm going to show you how to do it. So that's what I learned from, from San Francisco. So living around all these different cities, there was a little nugget that I took from each one of them that I hope in some way, shape, or form, people, when they think of me or speak of me, know that I'm bringing those to Milwaukee, sure. not to copy exact, but to show how other folks have done it, and we together can find a way to do it ourselves in our own unique, unique perspective. I, uh, I mean, the thing I learned coming back after five and a half years in San Francisco and coming here after that, it's like 
hey, in, in San Francisco, you sit down at a coffee shop. There are people talking about their startups, VCs. Everyone's just everyone's just there. You don't have to necessarily seek it out. What it taught me, it's like, hey, there are good budding tech communities in all these cities, right? But it, it's not necessarily just going to be sitting at the bar per se that you're going to bump <laughs> into someone. You need to make the effort to find groups like, you know, we're right here in uh, the Pritzlaff building, right? There's a lot of startup networking activities that take place down here. We got some. That's of why I come down. I know. I figured, <laughs> right? I was, I was impressed, right? You're making the drive two to three times a week. I mean, m- what I heard in that answer was it's about collaboration and community, right? You, you got to be there and you got to be willing to share what you're doing was kind of an underlying theme. So I'll, I feel I heard. I'll uh, steal a line here from Lena. She calls me the most approachable CIO in the area. And I, I hope people would say that about me because I will take any phone call. I will give anyone the benefit of the doubt. I'm, I was a new guy here two and a half years ago. Yeah. Like I said, no talent pi- pipeline, no network, no nothing. I needed to build a network to make myself relevant. I needed to build a network to make Generac. Yeah. Relevant. Generac is in Southwest Waukesha County. I actually felt that Generac was more well-known outside of the state of Wisconsin than inside of the state of Wisconsin when I came. I had a, I had a mission, um, a personal mission to make Generac uh, more brand aware in this area than it was. And we had to get downtown. And I got to tell you that the best story, you know, sometimes it's better to be lucky, you know, than good. Luck, coincidence, other. At the same time that I joined Generac with, you know, this big, bold mission and big ideas, um, I bought, my boss realized that uh, we also needed to have a presence downtown and we signed a platinum sponsorship with Summerfest and Summerfest Tech. And oh my God, did that blow the door open in terms of the uh, the wonderful possibilities of even accelerating sort of that, that mission and that vision. So that, like I said, was the gift that just has kept on, kept on giving. You want to hear how I first, I, I guess, really discovered who Generac was? <laughs> Did you buy one? Uh, no, I didn't buy one. <laughs> I was going to see Eve 6 at 2 p.m. on a Saturday at Summerfest, and they were playing on the Generac stage. Oh, I'm like, okay, oh yeah, how go. about that? Yeah, so yeah. got to know you guys after that. And then I think you popped up on LinkedIn, and I'm like, okay, they've got a super active CIO. This is cool. <laughs> so you know, it all, all came together thanks to Summerfest. Cool. And you know, this is going to be coming out not too long before when Summerfest and Summerfest Tech is. So you know, I'd love to hear from you. What is what is Summerfest Tech and what role does it play in a tech community like this one? You bet. So let me give you a little back around Summerfest first. And so part of my passion and involvement in Summerfest Tech goes back to my Summerfest days. And so I grew up in Wisconsin, moved away, but my brother stayed here. Uh, my brother lived in Milwaukee for 20 years and worked at Harley Davidson. I would come back to Milwaukee to go to Summerfest with him. I told this story before. In one day at Summerfest, I saw John Cougar Mellencamp, Eddie Money, and Tom Petty in one day. It's a big day. As a like a defining day in your life, yeah, really, if I had to say. Yeah. As a 17, 18, you know, 19 year old kid, however old, old I was, that was huge in forming my opinion, not only of Summerfest, about but about Milwaukee. Like you can do that in Milwaukee and have all this fun and then throw the sports on top of it. And so I've I've held a high regard. And for all of those years that I've lived away, I've always found a way to come back to Milwaukee mm-hmm. and go to Summerfest. You know, and obviously you've kept the connection I, going. I've kept the connection, so that has been personal for me for the long for the longest time. If I hadn't done that, then obviously maybe I I wouldn't have been as passionate as I am, but I, but I have. The second thing that I would say is what Summerfest Tech does for me is it takes that kind of that music and Milwaukee passion that I have, and then rolls in the tech aspect of which. I'm in the tech space. I'm a, you know, I'm a tech leader 
and, and an IT leader in the community, it just makes natural sense that that was such a huge, perfect fit for me. The music side and the tech side sort of combined in one event. And then you throw on the, the Generac sponsorship and that sort of allows the time and capacity to spend on this because Generac wants to make the most out of their investment and they want to make the most out of this partnership with the Milwaukee World Festival. And I am fortunately part of that team that makes that happen. So there's a company aspect to it. There's a personal aspect to it. And there's sort of a, uh, you know, sort of growing up in Wisconsin, being true to Milwaukee kind of aspect to it. And so Summerfest Tech brings all of those things for me together in one event and allows me to give my all to that, uh, to that one single event. Well, a slightly more personal question along the lines of Summerfest Tech. Then are you excited to lead a panel with like the <laughs> IT leaders at the Bucks, the Brewers, the Packers? Like you're Wisconsin. You probably know these people already, but still, that was, that was like an iconic lineup. Oh, that my I saw. God. Yeah. So uh, so uh, uh, Lena knows this story. But uh, when we talked about this and came up with this idea. So part of it is, yes, uh, I know, you know, Robert and Kenny and, and, uh, and Derek from, from the Wisconsin CIO and sort of the, the CIO networking side, but I also love those teams. I'm a season ticket holder, the Green Bay Packers, stockholder, the Green Bay Packers. I have a brick in Lambeau Field. Nice. I love the Milwaukee Bucks. I've been through the tough years and I've been through the good oh, years. Oh, so you've been a true supporter, not just I've like... I've worn when, the purple jerseys when, good you know, you. Giannis and Chris and, and Drew haven't worn them. And then the Brewers, oh my God, I've, I've gone to games at the old county stadium and have caught you know, home run balls from Rob Deere and Gorman Thomas going back to the, uh, you know, the early days. So I have that team kind of, you know, perspective where I love the sports teams. And when I thought about what I could do to this event to bring the, the most of what I could provide is my network and my passion. And I'm passionate about the sports teams, the Brewers, the Buckers, the Bucks and the Packers. And I have access to these three awesome tech leaders for each of these three companies. I mean, these are companies in town, just like Generac. They have a PL, they have revenue, and they have roles like this that have to use technology to move the needle to make an impact on their business. So I thought that that would be the best thing that I could do in a leader, as a leader in this town with my relationships and with this theme this year being at uh, Potawatomi, uh, it's the best thing that I could do to bring that knowledge, that subject matter of which I think has probably been under the carpet for a long time. I mean, sure. this 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 uh, you know sports team CIO isn't doesn't have a long sort of track and a long history. These guys have been kind of, you know, behind the scenes for a number of years, but you'll hear this in the panel, what these folks do to put on those events and the technology that they bring to the table to make, and, and the show must go on and bring, you know, emerging tech to those events is just awesome. And I can't wait for the audience to hear that. I can't wait to fully unpack, you know, sort of their spaces in those teams and hopefully give back to somebody who, you know, quite frankly, might be interested in joining one of those organizations sure. as a tech leader someday. Well, I'm interested since this is manufacturing happy hour, right? What do you think a manufacturing leader could learn from one of those folks that's talking about how they're bringing tech to their events, right? What do you think a, a manufacturing, because I love learning from sports, right? This is the first time I'm going to learn from sports from a technology perspective per se, but what are your, what's your answer to that? So one? in manufacturing, if you ever walk, you know, a Generac plant, if you ever walk a Harley plant, if you ever walk any one of these manufacturing, Miller, you know, Miller uh, plant, you're going to see a lot of trades stuff, soldering, molding, you know, parts, you know, sort of, sort of things that make the factories run technology that makes the engine go that produce a physical 
product. And so that's manufacturing, you know, whether it's, you know, with a sports team or whether it's with one of the companies I've mentioned. And so at the end of the day, all of these companies, there's a set of technology that is used to operate and produce product. And then there's a set of company, there's a set of technologies that are used then to present your brand and your product to the customer. And so in, in the, in the panel, we're calling that the fan experience. Um, but there's an operation, sort of an IT and an OT aspect of running the show, like running the event. What does it take to keep the manufacturing lines running? Was it, does it take to keep the bucks, you know, Pfizer forum running? Was it take to keep Lambeau field and the Wi-Fi working? What does it take to keep, you know, AmFam field and, 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 um, you know, the power and the technology going in those organizations. But then at the same time, how can you deliver a positive customer or fan experience uh, at the same time? And so to me, those are the parallels. I think there's a lot there's a lot of parallels. Um, we've had a couple of conversations thus far. We, we know how we're going to the things that we're going to sort of unpack in that area. But ultimately, what I want to share with the audience is that if you hear and learn and see enough about these where you become interested, then how can you engage and how can what are the things that you can do to potentially pursue a career or a role at, uh, at w- in one of those companies? I like how keeping things running is like an underlying theme of the interview from IT to what Generac <laughs> does for your customers. A little final plug as well. You bet. So, you know, we're, we're here at the end of our conversation. We covered a lot of ground. Really fun talking to you today. Is there anything you wish I would have asked you that I haven't yet? Uh, you know, so I would say that uh, from my uh, perspective, we're, we're still very early days. Like this journey of um, making Milwaukee a, a bigger tech hub, a more prominent name, we're, we're still very, very early days. And all I would ask if you're listening to this to this podcast is ask yourself what you can do to help make this movement happen. There isn't two people or three people that are going to make this thing go. It is a collective group. It is across the state of Wisconsin. It's here in the city of Milwaukee. If you are a tech leader in manufacturing, if you're a tech leader in any other company here in town, how can you contribute? What can you bring to the table? How can you help this movement happen faster, quicker, and better? We all want it to happen. We all want to experience it. We all want to be part of it, but it can't happen with a small group of folks. It, we, we need a village. We need to come together. We need more people. We need more ideas. We, don't, we need more stuff to be done. What can you do as a leader in the state, in the city, to bring what you know and your expertise and your knowledge and your ideas to, to make this to make this happen. It's a great final point because I feel like a lot of people psych themselves out. It's like, oh, I'm, you know, just this type of person at this company, right? What can I yeah. contribute to so it? CIOs, right? CI, most CIOs are introverts. Really? Yes. Most, well, I guess that's not a surprise. That's why we do personality tests because, oh, okay. because to share ideas, to collaborate you need to be a little bit of an extrovert. You need to be a little bit outgoing. You need to be a little bit conversational. In a traditional CIO, that's not necessarily the case. So the role is changing. We're changing. Milwaukee is changing. This is a huge opportunity for CIOs and IT leaders to step up and show up and show up differently. Like I said, for my business partners and customers, but in this particular case, for the city of Milwaukee, the state of Wisconsin. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of manufacturing leaders from the Milwaukee and Wisconsin area listening to this. We got a lot of leaders from a lot of other spots as well. And if my contribution is just drinking beer and sharing stories <laughs> of the people that uh, that are driving the change, surely other people out there can be a big part of their communities as well. So, Tim, I just wanted to thank you for being on today's show. Thank you very much, Chris. I truly enjoyed it. Cheers. Hey, 
Hey, thank you for listening. If you want to connect with Tim, if you want to access any of the many resources that he mentioned, the Inspire CIO Network, the book Women of Color in Tech, Explorium Brew Pub, where we were grabbing our drinks in Milwaukee. Well, hey, that's all over at the show notes page, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 140140. Also, I want to give a big thank you to Lena at Summerfest for helping us pull off this interview. You can also learn more about Summerfest Tech, the event that we've got coming up on June 27th through 29th in Milwaukee. You can register for that over at the show notes page. I know that Tim gave you a small taste of what will be there, but I definitely encourage you to check out the agenda for yourself. Like I said at the start, there's Web3, healthcare, cybersecurity, manufacturing. I mean, there's just a lot. There's a variety there, right? And I'm actually going to be there with a past manufacturing happy hour guest. If any of you remember back in episode 121, we were having a conversation with Christopher Lafayette about the metaverse. He's going to be there keynoting. I'm going to be helping him out with a fireside chat after that. So, hey, there will be a manufacturing happy hour-esque element to Summerfest Tech. Hope to see you there. Plenty of exciting things coming up this summer on the podcast. One more shout out to ePlan for sponsoring this episode. And with that, that is a wrap for this week. Stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again real soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.